Today on The Journey. Abortion today is so insidious, Ron, because men have gotten women to celebrate it as their own empowerment. I mean, that's the twisted nature of abortion in our culture today. There's a closely held secret in the culture of abortion. It's cynical, deceitful, and crafty. In this broadcast, Ron Moore and special guest Brian Fisher unveil that secret and its awful consequences for women. First, please note the comforting devotional we'd like to send you. It's titled Refuge, and in its 90 pages, you'll discover the path to God's sheltering presence. It's available on our website at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. And before we begin, a brief programming note. On today's broadcast, you'll hear Online for Life, referenced by Ron and Brian Fisher. Brian and the resources he talks about are now available at Human Coalition, which is found at humancoalition.org. So when you hear Online for Life, think and visit Human Coalition. That's all one word, humancoalition.org. Now here's Ron to introduce his special guest for a discussion titled, Men Behaving Badly on the journey. I'm talking with Brian Fisher, who heads up a tremendous ministry. And we're talking about a book that Brian has written, Abortion, the Ultimate Exploitation of Women. And as I said earlier, Brian, you do not let men off the hook. In fact, you're arguing men started this and they oppress women with this and that men can end this awful sin of abortion. Brian, we've talked about the spiritual aspect of abortion, and we both agree it's a spiritual issue. And yet, our country has laws regarding that. And one of the things you unpack in your book, you know, when you get away from truth, you really got to work hard because it's going to come out sooner or later. So you got to really work hard with your story. Well, when you get away from the truth of God's Word, you're going to make these laws that seem so quote-unquote right at the time, and yet they conflict. So we got two laws on the books right now. Talk about Roe versus Wade on one hand, and then Lacey and Connor's law on the other hand. Yeah, and to set the stage, it's important for all of us to understand that America is one of the most permissive countries in the world in terms of its abortion laws. So there are four countries that lead the way, and I hesitate to use that phrase, but are the most permissive, meaning allow abortions as easily as possible. United States and Canada, Communist China, North Korea. So not, America not a good uh, not group a good to mix. Be in, yeah. No. America has basically as permissive abortion policies as two of the most brutal communist regimes in the world. So let's set the stage with that. In 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed by nine men, seven of them voted for its passage, we entered into a brand new arena where they basically struck down all of the state's restrictions against abortion and federally made it legal across the board. And we need to be reminded today that all 50 states still allow abortion up to 20 weeks. And there's only three states that actually prohibit it in the third trimester. And virtually every state that has any restrictions have to make exceptions for the so-called health of the mother. So while I celebrate the advances that have been made at the state level since Roe v. Wade, it's important to understand that we remain one of the most permissive countries in the world at aborting our children. So Roe v. Wade 
made it legal in all 50 states and struck down state laws. There's an irony here because George W. Bush passed a law called Lacey and Connor's Law in the 2000s. And folks might remember there was a very tragic case where Scott Peterson killed his wife and dumped her body in the San Francisco Bay and her body washed up. And a few days later, the body of their unborn son, Connor, washed up to shore. And Scott Peterson was charged with double homicide. You say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense because under current law, Lacey could have aborted the same child and we would have celebrated it as a woman's right, but her husband murdered her and her child and got charged with the son's murder. And Bush passed a law called Lacey and Connor's Law, which protects the unborn at any stage of development from acts of violence. I think it's some 60 acts of violence are noted there, meaning that somebody can't harm a pregnant woman or her child without being arrested for that crime. But there's a specific exemption in Lacey and Connor's law for abortion. So what does that mean? That means that we're protecting the unborn at any stage of development from acts of violence from somebody else. But if the mother chooses to fatally harm the child, it's celebrated as a woman's right. Mm -hmm. So one law... Roe v. Wade recognizes the unborn as basically worth nothing. Another federal law on the same books hmm. recognizes the child as being extremely valuable, even priceless, unless the mother takes the life of the child. Morally, ethically, it's completely disjointed. John Kerry, hmm. no bastion of right, conservatism, right. actually acknowledged that there's a problem with the law because one law devalues the unborn child and another law says the unborn child has value, which is it? And he voted against he did. Lacey and Connor For that Ball. reason. For that reason. Right. I disagree with his conclusion, but at least there was some consistency. At least he was there. honest about his position. But, Brian, it really does get it back to the spiritual issue because yes. people are conflicted with this. If a child in its mother's womb is killed, that's murder, but that mother can stop that life. That's a moral conundrum. That's why the entire abortion industry and our culture of death in America is based on nothing but lies. There is nothing truthful about abortion in America today. Not one thing. You can look at a lot of different other issues and say, well, at least I kind of agree with this piece in part. In the abortion industry, that's just not true. And this is something that we've wrestled with both inside the church and outside the church. It comes down to value, Ron. Why does a child in the womb have less value than the child that's born. Mm -hmm. What is the moral reasoning for saying a child who is 20 weeks old or 18 weeks old inside the womb, why does that child have less value? In fact, no value because we can kill it than a child outside the womb. As you can imagine, I get all sorts of emails and phone calls and press interviews because of the work that we do. And inevitably, the questions come down to, well, you're so restrictive, you're forcing your religion on this issue. You're against women's rights. You're against women's choices. And eventually, I'm going to come around to this point. I'm going to ask the interviewer, help me understand why you would disagree with killing a two-month-old baby, but you celebrate the fact that we can kill a child that's three months old in the womb. And mm -hmm. the answer is always the same, silence. And the reason is because there is no moral distinction between those two. We are human distinct creatures made in the image of God from conception. And really from that point forward, it's a matter of size, level, development, environment, and degree of dependency. Mm -hmm. Those four things simply describe our maturity level or our location, but they do not determine our value. And so anytime that I'm in a discussion with somebody who's pro-abortion, 
That's the issue. I asked the same question very nicely. Why would you not be okay killing a toddler, but you are okay killing a baby in the womb? And I have yet to hear a good answer, and the reason is there is no good answer. Mm-hmm. Brian, I want to camp on that just a second. There are those listening. They're in a family environment, a work environment. They're with other people who oppose their view of the sanctity of life. So talk about how that person can put a question back to the individual about this conflicting viewpoint. I think it's just two easy steps. First is to get agreement on one point. Do you agree that human life begins at conception? That has to be accepted on both sides. And the good news is that that is not just a biblical position. It is scientific medical fact. And all reasonable people on both sides of this issue acknowledge that life begins at conception. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. That used to be the argument for abortion. Now it's the individual right issue. Yeah, that's because when it was murky and before the ultrasound, there was an argument to be made, well, you know, we're not sure when life begins. It begins at viability, begins at implantation. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of other variabilities. But today, there is no argument. And really, all pro-abortion advocates who are at least honest about the biology concede that life begins at conception. So if you're sitting around the water cooler and somebody says, well, I'm pro-abortion, my first response is, well, help me understand when you think that human life begins. And if the person is well acquainted with a modicum of science, they will understand that life begins at conception. That's the first point. The second point then is, okay, help me understand why life inside the womb is less valuable than life outside the womb. It's a technique that we call trot out the toddler. And there's a great book by Scott Klusendorf called The Case for Life. And this is where he articulates this. And the question is always the same. Why are you okay taking the life of a child inside the womb, but not the life of the toddler? Help me understand the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. And it only ever gets down to one of four things. Size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. And I won't go into all those, but they're fairly straightforward. And the reality is that there is no moral reason why we should discriminate against a human being for any of those variables. Because it isn't about what we can do for somebody else. It's about who we are by nature. We are valuable because we are human beings. So all that to say, agree when life begins, that life begins at conception. That is an indisputable fact. Secondly is help me understand why life in the womb is less valuable, in fact worth nothing, versus life outside the womb. Why do we seek to protect life outside the womb, but we're so easy to kill life inside the womb? And that's typically enough to at least get the other person thinking, which I think is the point. You have a chapter in your book titled, A Long History of Men Behaving Badly. I love the chapter. It was tremendous in reminding the reader how Christianity has changed the world. That's right. So talk a little bit about this aspect of a history of men behaving badly. Well, unfortunately, men have, since the beginning of time, a history of using women. You can go back to the garden and recognize that when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam's response was to basically blame Eve, and we've been doing that ever since. Instead of taking responsibility and ownership for our mistakes and for our sins, we want to justify it through other people. And, you know, if you look at ancient civilizations, certainly at the time of Christ, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, and then throughout history, there is no historical Mm -hmm. example of women exploiting men. Women have never been in a position of power to where they have enslaved or used men. If you look at a practice like 
binding feet in Asian countries? Why is it that for centuries, Chinese women were made to bind their feet, which is a very painful lifelong Mm -hmm. condition that in many cases debilitated them, making them unable to walk? Well, the reason was that Chinese men found it attractive. So there are all sorts of sordid, very unfortunate examples of men using their physical power, their aggression, their quest for pleasure or power to enslave and demean women. And I go through a relatively brief history of that. And abortion today is really just another sophisticated tool. But it's so insidious, Ron, because men have been very smart they've gotten women to celebrate it as their own empowerment. It would be like a Chinese woman with her feet bound who celebrates the fact that she can't walk because it was her quote-unquote decision to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the twisted nature of abortion in our culture today. And the argument that I make is that Christ is the only one who can truly establish gender equality and truly establish a playing field where men and women are honored and respected for their unique wirings and their unique gifts, and we're very different, but that we can coexist in a way that both genders are allowed to flourish and grow without exploitation. If you look at the radical nature of Jesus's ministry and the way that he elevated women, you could talk about the Samaritan women at the well, you could talk about the adulteress, we could talk about Mary Magdalene, we could talk about Jesus's mother, Mary, and the way that he honored and treated them, which was radical for that time period. Christian men have been taking cues from that for the last 2,000 years and have been making strides to attempt to recognize that according to Genesis, men and women created the image of God. Not men created the image of God. Men and women created the image of God and that we have an obligation to extend that gender equality, Mm -hmm. but it can only be done through Christ. And fortunately, the Christian church has a wonderful history of doing just that. And that's where we need the church again today. Scripture says that in Christ, there is no male nor female, no slave or free, no Jew or Gentile. We are all level at the cross, and you make a tremendous point of that in the book. We read Scripture, and we just don't understand how radical it was for Jesus to actually have women in his ministry Mm -hmm. and elevating them. At Pentecost, there were 120 believers in that room, and it says, and many women who follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Again, that's a radical thing that we don't think about today, but how Christ and the church, not always perfectly, but has elevated women in true equality. Now, one of the most degrading things going on in our culture, pornography, Mm -hmm. is running rampant in the lives of many men and many Christian men. Talk about that a little bit. I don't know if we could find a more heartbreaking topic than pornography and its link to abortion. I was just reading a stat, I think it was last week, that they now think that 80% of American men are regularly viewing pornography as part of just their daily life. And as pornography has continued to be mainstreamed, We just don't yet have a deep understanding of how much this is ripping marriages and men and their hearts apart. I think from an abortion perspective, abortion and pornography are directly linked. And in the book, I can see that there's been virtually no studies done to connect those two, and there's reasons for that, and we hope to rectify that in the future. But let me make this point. There have been very clear studies done that pornography and unplanned pregnancy are directly linked, and it makes sense. Adulterous affairs that result in pregnancy 
premarital sex that results in pregnancy, all different kinds of scenarios. And we know that 85% of abortions are performed on unmarried women who in many cases have multiple sex partners. So if pornography is driving the out-of-control male sex drive and the out-of-control male sex drive is driving unplanned pregnancy, I argue that obviously that's a key driving factor of abortion. And so when I speak with men's groups, as gently as I can, my point is that your pornography habit can kill someone. It can be fatal. And in many cases, it is fatal. I share a story in the book, actually, of a marital infidelity relationship between a pastor and another woman, and he was pressuring the woman to abort because he didn't want the shame of his addiction and of the indiscretion to be brought out in the public. So we have to treat this as seriously as it is. Obviously, porn is destructive because it can ruin the relationship, and it's basically an affair for the man. But we don't take that to the next step, which is if it results in an unplanned pregnancy, that child has a great chance of dying because of a man's inability to control his sexual appetite. Mm -hmm. And I argue in the book that if you are a man who wants to end abortion and you want to contribute to that, you must stop the pornography Mm -hmm. habit. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Whatever it takes to stop, you must stop. There was an argument made on an article just recently that I read that spoke to this And I didn't mention it in the book. I thought it was a great point, though, and I wish I had. And the point was this. So many men won't protect unborn children because they are living in shame because of their pornography habit. They're not rising up to be protectors because they don't feel like they can protect anything because they can't control themselves. And, you know, I think it's another reason for men who are struggling with this to have the courage to reach out to their church or to their pastor or to a parachurch organization and say, look, today is the day. I'm going to end this. I'm going to stop it through the Holy Spirit, through Christ's help. Today is the day that we call it quits on Mm -hmm. this because not only is my wife and is my family important to me, but I don't want to get somebody killed because Mm -hmm. of this. So we know that forgiveness is in Christ and his grace is there and also his empowerment by the Spirit to help us not to do the things we shouldn't do and do the things we should do. And pornography, as you've well said and well written in the book, is running rampant and shows up in many other places, not just that hidden part of the room with the guy on his computer, but it's going to impact every area. Sin has consequences, right? Right. Whether it's blatant or in secret, sin always has consequences. I think we forget, Ron, that we have victory in Christ. Because of Christ. It's not our victory. It's Christ's Mm -hmm. victory. We have the Holy Spirit, God, in us. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I stop and think about that, which is not often enough, Mm -hmm. I'm blown away by what that means. The creator of the universe, the God who condescended to live a sinless life and die on my behalf and rose again from the dead by the power of God himself and the Spirit, I'm blown away that God lives in me. And I think we forget that because of that, we share in Christ's victory. We tend to think of ourselves as victims, right? Well, this porn habit is too hard to kick. Christ died for that. We have victory over that. There's an interesting book that I just finished, The Utter Relief of Holiness by John Eldridge. And the book makes an interesting claim that do we live holy lives, realizing that the holiness that we seek 
is already attained for us through Christ. We sort of act like we have to earn it right. or we have to go through a series of steps or whatever to get it. And Eldridge's point is it's already done. Christ mm-hmm. said on the cross, it is finished. Victory over sin. I'm not claiming that we can be sinless because we can't. I mean, we right. struggle with sin, and that'll be a struggle we have until we get to heaven. But are we living as victorious Christians in the fact that God, in his unbelievable mercy, calls us sons and daughters of his own, which is just miraculous? Mm-hmm. Or are we sitting here sort of saying, yeah, I kind of believe it, but I'm still mm-hmm. a victim? We're not victims. We're victorious, not because of us. But right. because of what Christ has already done, and that extends to pornography and to other addictions and to sexual lifestyles, I'm not saying it's easy, Ron, not at all. I'm mm-hmm. not saying recovering from those things is a walk in the park. I am saying that victory was already bought and paid for, right. and we need to live that way. You said we don't think about this enough, and I totally agree. One of the things we're doing here at the Bible Chapel is just to reemphasize who we are in Jesus Christ, and we use the acronym SAFE with two S's. We're significant, we're secure, we're accepted, we're forgiven, and we're empowered. And I think as believers, so many things happen in our life. You know, we try to find our significance in some other place, or we don't think we're worthy enough. We don't experience the forgiveness of God, and we just go back to, wait a second, we're significant because we're created in the image of God, in Christ. He sent his son to die for us, and we have now eternal life in Christ. We are secure. Nothing now can separate us from the love of God. We're accepted. We are in his family, and we'll always be. We're forgiven, and we're empowered. I think often of this empowerment, sometimes I catch myself saying, I can't do that, and that's right. I can't do that. But I have, by my position in Christ, I have the Holy Spirit living within me, who can deliver me. No temptation has come upon you, but it's common to man, right. and God's either going to give you the power to get through it or find a way out of it. You're right, I will sin, but I have the power within me to overcome and have the victory in Christ. We're not talking about a life of perfection here, nope. but we're talking about growing and just acknowledging and experiencing the empowering of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And I think that's so significant in the issue of life that's critical to know who we are in Christ, whose we are in Christ. Well, and to a woman in an unplanned pregnancy, that is a critical message. Because the unbelievable thing about God is even when we do screw up, he uses it for his glory. Oftentimes when I'm speaking with other groups or with women who have been through this situation, I said, you know, I'm not justifying or excusing the behavior that got you into the situation of the unplanned pregnancy, but can we turn the tables here? Can we acknowledge that maybe the unplanned pregnancy, the baby, is not the mistake, but God's blessing in revealing his creation and his beauty through a mistake? I mean, we tend to look at an unplanned pregnancy as a universal negative. We equate the baby with the sin, and I'm not excusing the sin at all, don't mishear me. I am saying that God uses unplanned pregnancies and beautiful babies to achieve His purposes. Again, the resources mentioned in today's discussion are currently found at humancoalition.org. And please stay with us for a preview of our next time together. Are you looking for a place to shelter from life's inevitable storms? Is your heart desperate for a calm harbor to rest? 
Would you like to find safety and peace of mind where neither seems possible? Well, the place where those are discovered is described in Ron Moore's encouraging devotional titled Refuge. Within its 90 pages, God's promises of comfort, protection, and healing will revive your spirit. Refuge is yours for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's rejoin Ron and Brian for a preview of our next broadcast. Our role as fathers is to not only model the behaviors that we want to see, but that needs to be a regular topic of conversation. Because ultimately, we need to live lives that are set apart for the safety of our family, but also the witness for the gospel. We hope you can join us for that discussion next time. And please remember that Ron's devotional booklet, Refuge, is yours for a donation of any amount. Whether dark clouds are gathering on the horizon or they're directly overhead, Refuge offers shelter from the storm. You can get it online at ronmore.org or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Also, we invite Pittsburgh area listeners to visit our church website at biblechapel.org. There you'll find information about our area campuses and their ministries. They're located in Robinson, Rostraver, South Hills, Washington, and Wilkinsburg. Again, that address is biblechapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron Moore and Brian Fisher next time as we walk together on the journey.